So we go back to the restaurant another night. <coughs> oh my god, I sound like a 13-year-old boy. We go back to the restaurant. We go back to the restaurant. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the strike era. (laughs) (laughs) It is a blast finding specific films that are not associated with any struck companies. (laughs) It is such an easy, simple thing. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, I feel very happy with the lineup we've had so far. We've actually been able to cover some yeah. really, really great movies. And today is no exception. Definitely. I really enjoyed all the movies we've covered. Today we're kind of getting into our artsy-fartsy era, mm-hmm. as my mother would probably say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a movie that's actually been on my watch list forever, so I'm super excited we finally are covering it. Yeah, I think this movie was absolutely beautiful to watch like the director is very renowned Mm -hmm. and I guess should we just tell them what we're doing this week yeah so today we are doing the 2000 classic in the mood for love wow in the mood for love made 12 million eight hundred thousand in the box office uh budget remains to be seen and I'm Assuming that might be because they kept extending the production period. Yeah, that's very likely. They shot this film over 15 months, which is a very long filming period. Usually movies do not Mm -hmm. shoot for that long. But they did a lot of like kind of writing on the fly and improvising. So like the final script, like the script was never really finalized. And... Up until like a week before it premiered at Cannes, they were still filming like the last scene and then they edited the whole thing. Editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wong Kar Wai has a really specific like perfectionist methodology for creating films and mm-hmm. involves a lot of improvisation, which honestly is the most raw, yeah, authentic way to, to capture um I, like acting in general is the most raw and authentic, I think, when improvising. Mm-hmm. But because of that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it did run re- like really late into production. Um, I was reading that he typically works with Christopher Doyle as his DP, mm-hmm. but because of the extension of the filming, um, another DP had to step in. He was replaced by. Ping Bin Lee and Pun Liang Kwan. But I think Ping Bin Lee and Christopher Doyle were credited um, like 50 50 as DPs mm. in the credits. And I also read that like Christopher Doyle has a more kinetic style, whereas Lee was has a bit longer like shots, like his shots are like longer and more drawn mm. out. Super interesting because. Switching out a DP is like a very specific yeah. job. Yeah, so, it's essentially akin to like switching out a direct, like the the right, director, right. essentially. Um, that's really interesting. I'm so curious to know, kind of like which scenes 
were by which DP. Yeah, definitely. That would be so fascinating to kind of see where the switch is because there are definitely some scenes that are very short and ones that are very long. Right. Which I think really works for this movie to kind of go back and forth Mm -hmm. between the two. So, wow. I would love to see like just like a little title card that says who worked on what. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally. Absolutely. There's so many little things about this movie like the extended cut and Mm -hmm. different things that they left out. The sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to get into, you know, the, the subject matter of the film a little bit. Uh, The original inspiration for this movie actually came from a Japanese short story. And the story is about two strangers who often walk past each other in a stairwell without exchanging any words, which we see frequently on their many, many noodle runs in this movie. Yeah. But in the short story, it ends with both of the characters committing suicide. Obviously, that doesn't happen here. But I would say there is a death of sorts. Agreed. At the end of the movie, for sure. Yeah, and you actually found out that the film was shot in Macau. Yeah. Because there were, like, really strict um, criteria for filming in Beijing. And he was like, I don't have a script. Stop asking for one. (laughs) So it's like, okay, we're going to shoot in Macau, I guess. Yeah. Um, what's the closest offshore gambling island that we can film at? <laughs> yeah, for uh, for those who don't know, my parents currently live in Macau, so I was just there a few months ago. Um, so can't say that I recognized anything, but <laughs> fun little Easter egg for any, you know, Macanese out there. Do you like Macau? I like Macau. It's definitely, like, small. Yeah. I wish that I got to spend more time on macau side because basically like there's two sides of the island one side is like the newer side where all of like the huge new casinos are and stuff and like that's where my parents live and then there's macau side which is more like uh it's more like crowded and busy and like a little more hustle bustle and that's where all of like the older Mm -hmm. stuff is and i wish i got to spend more time there like we went there a few times to like shop or go for dinner and stuff but yeah i would love to get more immersed into that side because it just seems more like interesting to me than like here's the Londoner and here's the Venetian and here's the Parisian (laughs) and they all have the same designer stores that like we don't shop in because they're insanely expensive and yeah but I I liked Macau I liked um my favorite part is definitely the egg tarts the Portuguese egg tarts delicious Ooh, yeah yeah Another fun fact is that Maggie Chung, who plays Mrs. Chen in the movie, she required four hours of makeup and costuming each morning. And let me tell you, it paid off. She looks She looks incredible. Oh, my my goodness. goodness. Her makeup is, like, very simple, but she just looks, like, so gorgeous. Her eyes are, like, really – they really stand out. Her hair is this beautiful, like, voluminous, coiffed situation. And she wears, like, the The most gorgeous Chi Pao's or Chung Sam, however you want to call them, uh, throughout the movie. And apparently they designed, like, over 40 of them. And not all of them made the cut. But she is pretty much wearing a different Chi Pao in every single scene. And they are all so stunning. Yeah, she looks incredible. She always wears like a little cat eye. Mm -hmm. And I think she usually has a red 
lip. I think so, yeah. Unless, or like just like a brightish lip. Like she has, you know, a very fair complexion, but her lips and her eyes are always like very stand out. Yeah, and she looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to mention was just that Wong himself said that he was influenced by Hitchcock's Vertigo while making this film. And he compared Tony Lung's character, Chow, to James Stewart's and says, The role of Tony in the film reminds me of Jimmy Stewart's in Vertigo. There is a dark side to this character. I think it's very interesting that most of the audience prefers to think that this is a very innocent relationship. These are good guys because their spouses are the first ones to be unfaithful and they refuse to be. Nobody sees any darkness in these characters and yet they are meeting in secret to act out fictitious scenarios of confronting their spouses and of having an affair. I think this happens because the face of Tony Lung is so sympathetic. Just imagine if it was John Malkovich playing this role. (laughs) You would think, this guy is really weird. It's the same in Vertigo. Everybody thinks James Stewart is a nice guy, so nobody thinks that his character is actually very sick. And I thought that was quite interesting because their appearances and like uh, very kind demeanors Mm -hmm. have a lot to do with our perception of the characters. Oh, absolutely. And like the way I had a huge crush on Chow, like this whole movie, I was like, yes, God, (laughs) I fell for it. I fell into the trap. He's just trying to get noodles. There's one scene in particular that really got me. We'll we'll talk about it when we get to it, but I was I was mm-hmm. like I like hand to to chest, deep inhales like, "Oh my god. I love you." Oh, I'm excited. But with that being said, before we get into it, we just want to remind you that out now on Patreon is our Scott Pilgrim versus the World episode. If you're interested in mm-hmm. that, definitely go check it out. And I guess we can also announce that coming next month, our bonus episode has been chosen by the patrons, and it is going to be Whip It. Exciting. I feel like this has been in the works for a really long time. So Yeah. I love when everybody pools their votes together and are chatting about yeah. it in the Discord. It's very democratic. I enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> well, with that being said, should we slow motion walk down the stairs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Into it. <laughs> Let's do it. So the film opens with a title card that translates to, It is a restless moment. She has kept her head lowered to give him a chance to come closer. But he could not, for lack of courage. She turns and walks away. I'm already, like, emotional. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we set the scene. Hong Kong, 1962. Su Li Zen is on her way out from a meeting with a landlady, Mrs. Swen, whose room she's looking to rent when Chow Mo Wan comes to the door, also inquiring about the room, only to be told it has just been rented by that lovely lady. When Chow says he's just looking for a room for him and his wife, Mrs. Swen tells him to try next door since Mr. Ku's son just got married and they have a spare room. Yes, yeah, so we fast forward 
Chow and Sue are moving in on the same day. There is absolute chaos with the two moving crews. They keep getting belongings and furniture mixed up in the different apartments. And the landlord actually goes up to Mrs. Chan and asks to meet her husband. But Mrs. Chan says that he is working abroad this week, um, but she can manage the move-in on her own. So then Chow goes over to Mrs. Chan to return some magazines that mistakenly were brought to his place. And she thanks him and says that they belong to her husband. And he's like, oh, like, I see that he reads Japanese. And she's like, yeah, only a little. You know, his boss is Japanese. Keep that in your back pocket for later. (laughs) Yes. Then they introduce themselves. She's Mrs. Chan and he is Chow. Also referred to as Mr. Chow. Yeah. So later that night, Mrs. Chen is on her way to the airport to pick up her husband while Chow has dinner with the neighbors. We see this really often throughout the movie, like these two neighbors having dinner together all the time. They're basically like family. Mm-hmm. And um, the neighbors gossip about how Mrs. Chen was all dressed up to go see her husband. Ooh. Ooh. Little do they know, she dresses like that all the time throughout this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, So at dinner, Mr. Chan is finally back home. He has dinner with the other tenants. And I feel like now is a good time to mention this film has a lot of short, you know, kinetic Mm -hmm. vignette scenes. Mm -hmm. So even though it's like a very simple event, like having dinner, you kind of just get this feeling for the lifestyle and what the slice of life is like for them. Mm -hmm. in these short bursts. So I highly recommend watching the movie just to get the visual. This scene also is one of the many scenes that we see that's completely in slow motion and uses the same musical theme throughout the film. And important things to note is that we never see Mr. Chan's face. Right. Neither do we see Chow's wife's face either. And in this scene in particular, Mm -hmm. if memory serves... Like, Mr. Chan is sitting at the table. Mrs. Chan is sitting next to him, but she has to, like, stand up to let another woman, like, pass by and sit nearby. And that is Chow's wife that passes to to sit at the table as well. So this is the first time that Mr. Chan and Chow's wife are meeting. Keep that in your back pocket for later. Eek. But before we know it, Mr. Chan is off again for another business trip. He tells his wife that this time it's going to be for some anywhere between two and four weeks. I'm like, that's a long time period. But Mrs. Chan asks him to bring back two more handbags for her boss, one to give to his wife and one to give to his mistress. He's like, why do you need two? And she's like, you know why? Yeah. So back at work, we see Mrs. Chan Um, She is a receptionist at a shipping company, and she's taking some calls for her boss. And he asks if she called his wife and to confirm his dinner reservation with his mistress and tells her to lock up when she leaves. So she is handling his illicit affairs. And you want to scream, don't call me kid. (laughs) (laughs) So we go back home and Mrs. Swen asks Mrs. Chan where she's going at this hour and she says oh just to get some noodles and 
She, Mrs. Swen is like, oh, Amma is making pork soup. You should join us for dinner. But Mrs. Chan says she's not really actually hungry. She just wants some fresh air. And mm-hmm. I mean, the the theme of loneliness and isolation, I think, is is pretty prevalent throughout this whole movie. Like Mrs. Chan and Chow are two like very profoundly lonely characters. Um, but Mrs. Chan, especially, we see her often kind of isolating or withdrawing from others to spend time on her own. Yeah. She also isn't seen with anyone else, mm-hmm. like no friends. Yeah. So we see in the next scene the back of um, Chow's wife's head as she's on the phone with him. And she's working late. She says she'll see him later tonight. And then... Chow gets back to work when his boss tells him to go home for the night. And Chow says he's already here, so might as well finish up his work and then ask for a few days off next month because he wants to take his wife on a trip. He's like, you know, I promised her we'd get away for a little while. I do really love the framing of, I mean, this whole movie, the framing is really, really incredible and interesting. We always have, like, a frame within a frame. Yeah, very frequently. Kind of gives gives the illusion that, like, people are being watched all the time, which, like, we already mm-hmm. know because we're watching a movie. But, it you know, it's really emphasized <laughs> by seeing a frame within a frame. But, um, yeah, I really love how we always see the same kind of, like, panning shot through her office window. And we see the back of her head as she's on the phone. It's, like really beautifully done yeah there are a lot of mirror reflections Mm -hmm. and yeah seeing someone through a window pane yeah so chow goes home where their neighbors are having dinner once again and they're all marveling at this fancy rice cooker that mrs chan has brought out for them to use she tells chow that her husband brought it back from japan but she also isn't joining in in the dinner like everybody else is sitting at the table and she's sitting in the corner reading the paper and Mrs. Swen asks Mrs. Chan to get her husband to bring one back for her next time and then suggests that Chow get one as well since his wife always works late and leaves him on, a, on his own for dinner. And Chow is like, oh, I couldn't possibly trouble you like that. But she says, it's no trouble. I'll ask my husband to buy another one next time. And he thanks her and heads back to his apartment. Yes. So the next thing we see Chow is talking to Mr. Chan and he's like, oh, sorry for troubling you about the rice cooker. But Mr. Chan says it's no trouble. And he's like, and how much do I owe you? But Mr. Chan is like, oh, don't worry. Your wife already paid me. Hmm. And I'm like, interesting. Because Chow hasn't seen his wife in ages. So weird that you saw her. Yeah. (laughs) She's she's been at work for three weeks, so that's pretty crazy right. that she paid you the money. Weird. Hmm. And Chow is like, oh, why the fuck didn't I know that? But <laughs> he's like, oh, you know, my wife works late shifts, and I don't always get to see her before bed, so, like, passing shifts in the night. And then he asks if Mrs. Chan is around because he has a friend who needs to go to Singapore, and he was wondering if she could get a cheap ticket for him. And Mr. Chan says he'll ask when she gets back. And Chow is like, oh, I'm I'm bothering you too much. But Chan is like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we're neighbors. Mm. I'll take care of anything you need me to and more. Yeah. Maybe a little too much. Maybe things you don't want me to take care of. <laughs> so back at work, I don't know if we mentioned this, but uh, Chow is actually a journalist. 
and him and his wife have moved to Hong Kong from Shanghai. And also, like, the two landlords, like, Mr. and Mrs. Ku and Miss Wen, they're also um, from Shanghai. So it's, like, mm-hmm. kind of a little Shanghainese community here in Hong Kong. So Chow sits down with his coworker friend, Ping, and you know, he's the one who needs to get to Singapore and says that Mrs. Chan called to say that he left his hat in her office and ping says oh yeah i did it on purpose you know it's an excuse to go back and see her <laughs> he's like the worst he's such a slimy little man so chow is like you know she's married right and ping is like yeah that's why i left otherwise i'd be the one trying to move in next door to her and he tells Chow that if his wife wasn't so attractive, she should be a worried woman, you know, having him live next door to the beautiful Mrs. Chan. But Chow says that he's not like him. And Ping tells him, you know what, why don't you call Mrs. Chan up and tell her I'll pick up the hat tomorrow and I'll take her to lunch. And Chow says, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. You can dream on, buddy. I will have her bring the hat home to me and then I'll pass it on to you. And Ping says, you know what? Even better. I'll wait at your place for it. (laughs) He is relentless. Yeah. He's also the first person that we see like in a completely frameless shot. I think, I don't know if it's the only time in the movie, but it's definitely the first time in the movie. And it's like not one of our main characters, which I thought was interesting. He is so different from Mm -hmm. the main characters and even though it might be too much, like his um he has a lust for life yeah. that Chow and Mrs. Chan do not have. And it's like very contrasting. Yeah, he's like one of the only characters that is completely free and unburdened. Therefore he's mm-hmm. not like trapped in a window or trapped in a mirror, like we see all like our main characters are. Yeah. So the next scene we're back in the apartment building and Mrs. Chan knocks on the Ku's door and asks if she can borrow the newspaper. But Chow says, oh, Mr. Ku's out. Like, let me get the paper for you. And he tells her he loves the serials and would hate to miss an episode. And there's like a framing from the mirror in this scene. He tells Mrs. Chan that he thought of writing a serial himself, but he couldn't get started. So he just gave up. He wasn't born to write martial arts stories, but she can borrow from his collection anytime. And she says, oh, maybe another time. Like, thank you. Mm -hmm. So they like the same stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And like we're seeing her in like a mirror. He's looking at her. We see her in a mirror. So it's like, oh, my God, they mirror each other. (laughs) Crazy. Crazy. (laughs) So... We then see some time has passed, and turns out Mrs. Chan does borrow some of Mr. Chow's books because she goes back to the apartment to drop them off. But Mrs. Ku says he's going to be out of town for a few days. Him and his wife had a fight. So she leaves the books with Mrs. Ku. Yes. So Chow's wife is on the phone at work again, and she says she's on the night shift tonight, and she'll be working late, so there's no need to pick her up. Cut to Chow stopping by work to pick her up and take her out for dinner, but being told that she already left because she finished early. Hmm. And Chow is like, I never remember these things. Like, thanks so much. 
suspicious. Right? Like, how do you not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we find out later that he has known for some time, but we never, the interesting thing, I'm just going to, I'm going to spoil it. Like, we know what's what's happening. The interesting thing is that we actually never see when both of them cotton on to the fact that their spouses are having this affair. Mm -hmm. It's like, almost like the feeling of falling in love where it like happens very gradually and then it's there. That's kind of how they discover the affair. Like we see these little clues, little clues, and then they both reveal to each other that they know. And then us as audience members are like, oh, they know. I didn't know that they knew. So I thought that was interesting that we kind of skip past the the more dramatic moment of them actually finding out or putting the pieces together, I guess. I definitely think this is one of the reasons why I like the movie so much because mm. I really like those quiet moments of self-discovery mm-hmm. and not the like at least for uh dramatic like yeah this movie is such a slow burn i really appreciate the quiet tone of the film definitely and then we get uh, a recurring sequence that we see throughout the whole film which are the famous noodle runs that these two like to make <laughs> so Mrs. Chan goes outside to get some noodles for dinner. Outside of their apartment building, there's this, like, big staircase that leads down to this little, like, noodle congee shop. So we see her, like, slow motion walking down the stairs. Moments later, who's also walking down the stairs? Chow. They pass by each other. Two ships in the night. Chow eats alone at the noodle stand, and we see this continue night after night with both of them being left alone for dinner by their spouses. Just, you know, noodles every night. Yeah. This made me so, like, freaked out to get married of, like, Mm. I mean, it just makes you think, when does the magic stop? Like, can you help it? (laughs) Or do you just, like find a different way to be in love like after you're with someone for an extended period of time and I don't know I mean those are the questions that I just have myself about getting like married you know keeping that like flame lit yeah because I mean obviously (sighs) neither of us have been married or you know had that kind of like long-term relationship spanning decades But, I mean, from things that I've read and things that I've seen, I just, you know, romantic love changes so much. It goes through so many different phases. Mm -hmm. And while, of course, like, you want to find ways to keep that, like, spark alive, I do think that at a certain point, love becomes a choice. Like, you're choosing to invest in this person. You're choosing to, like, put work into your relationship and definitely that's going to stand the test of time more than like the flame of lust not that you should completely ever lose that like you should always be like trying to keep that alive but i think it just like things change and like the dynamics of relationship Mm -hmm. changes and for some you know that means the end of a relationship for others it doesn't It, it really depends but yeah it is it is a scary thing to you know commit to somebody for life and hope that it all works forever. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to my sister-in-law's friend who has been married for 
I don't know when they got married, but like they have a kid together now mm-hmm. and like they were together in college. So like yeah. they met a long time ago. Like I probably 10 years or so now, like 10, 12 years ago. And um I like asked her about it and I was like, oh, like, do you still like do you still like feel in love the same way you did when you first started dating and like whatever? And she was like, I mean, it's different now that they have like a kid and they're like they've been together for so long and she's like, We make such a great team and we're like, Yeah, you know, we feel like really like we can accomplish really great things together and that's different than like being in your 20s and you're yeah, like, Whoa. like giddy hee hee um, yeah totally but it's still like i i think that in itself is like a flame that you keep lit like mm-hmm. just like that appreciation and care exactly yeah and i guess it scares me to be like there's no care like there's no more yeah not even lustful romance but just no more romance no more appreciation and like that freaks me out. <laughs> yeah, like it's we see two people, like I said, who are supremely lonely mm-hmm. in their relationships. And that I think is what makes this movie so sad. So is sad. just seeing <laughs> seeing these people who are so alone in their relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so, <laughs> back to the movie. <laughs> Love my emo- emotional support for an accent work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god! Emotional support animal? No, sir. It's an emotional <laughs> support, support accent. accent. <laughs> There's this thing I haven't oh, done it god. in forever, but me and like honestly everybody in our friend group would always do like yeah i sing about my problem so i don't have to feel it <laughs> where you like yes if you say oh, something yeah. emotional oh, if yeah. you sing it it feels less yes. real <laughs> yes i yeah. feel like cameron does that a lot where he's like and i almost missed the plane and i was like oh my, my god, god. <laughs> i was yeah. like oh my god i'm gonna fucking lose my mind like that <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> love these exactly. coping mechanisms oh, of yeah. uh British accents yeah. and singing. <laughs> yeah, I use art to cope. Oh, do you like paint? I'm no. like, I'm depressed. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't do yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. So back at work, yeah. totally total shift of like pace. Yeah. At work, Peng comes to see Chow who is just now out of the hospital question mark yeah. like he was in the hospital for some reason and he's like i need to borrow 30 dollars because i lost a racing bet on a bad tip and he's like what do you mean like 30 dollars and he's like well i thought it was like my lucky day i only had 2 dollars left to my name so i went to a brothel hoping it would improve my luck sure and i think chow is like you hadn't even had your stitches taken out and he's like yeah like i really yeah. messed myself up <laughs> going to this brothel and oh my gosh. where he's apparently a regular so they he is a regular but yeah. he is a regular at this brothel so they yeah. give him credit and they're holding his ID as collateral, and now he's overdue on his debt, and they've started waving his ID around, and he's <laughs> like, I can't let this happen. Yeah. And Chow is like, okay, this is all I can 
give you right now. I need $10 for myself. But he does lend him some money. And then Ping is like, which I'm like, the audacity when he's just been given money. Mm-hmm. Ping suggests they have a late night snack. On whose dime, and, Ping? <laughs> right. During this snack, he divulges to Chow that he saw his wife in the street yesterday with another man. Mm. And Chow is like, oh, it's it was probably a friend. But Ping says, you know, I just thought you should know. Mm-hmm. So we go back to Mrs. Chan. She is at work. She's taking calls for her boss again, you know, saying he's busy. He'll call back. She's managing his various women. And she also gives her boss the birthday present mm-hmm. for him to give to his wife. So she has done the shopping for him. He then invites Mrs. Chan to join them for dinner. You know, she's been working so hard lately managing his mistress. <laughs> but she says she's already planning to watch a film tonight. She's going to the cinema. Her boss then tells her since tomorrow will be quiet, she should take the morning off. She thanks him and then she calls her husband who is going out for the night and she tells him that she has a lot to do here so she'll be late. So she's actually also lying to her husband so that she can go to the movie theater. But yeah, at least it's innocent. She's just trying to catch a film. She probably feels lonely when She's with him. Yeah. Anyway, so rather than sit around and sulk at home, she's like, I'm going to see a film. Yeah. But at home, Mrs. Chan knocks on the coup's door again, and Chow's wife actually answers and says she heard voices and thought that maybe Mr. and Mrs. Koo were back. But Chow's wife says no and asks if she can help with anything. And Mrs. Chan is like, oh, no, no, no. I just wanted to chat. And asks if Chow's wife is alone, noticing that she's home early. And she's like, yeah, I'm alone. You know, just came back to rest. I'm not feeling well. And Mrs. Chan offers her some medicine, but she declines. She's like, I'll just sleep it off. And then Mrs. Chan says, you know what? I'll leave you in peace. And (laughs) Chow's wife just like slams the door in her face. Yeah. Cut to her saying, it's your wife. <gasps> we then cut to Chow's wife working the late shift again, and she calls her lover, Mr. Chan. Oh my goodness. And asks if he's told his wife yet. And since he hasn't, she says that they shouldn't see each other anymore. And then we have this like panning shot um of a of a bedroom into a bathroom. We hear like the faucet running. And we go into the shower and we see, like, a blurred image of Chow's wife just, like, sobbing in the shower now that her affair has potentially ended. Hmm. So back at work, Mrs. Chan is working. She's talking to her boss about a potential delayed shipment. And she gives him his message from his wife saying he doesn't need to pick her up because she's playing mahjong with a friend and she'll meet him at the restaurant at 5.30. Mrs. Chan also gives him a gift from his mistress with a message saying since it's his birthday, she'll dine alone and asks him to give her a call. Then she goes to get some coffee and just kind of like stares off pensively. She comes back in like brings some coffee, gets back to filing, and tells him that his new tie, which is from his mistress, 
looks nice. And he's really surprised that she noticed. And she, I was surprised. This is probably the spiciest thing she says in the entire Mm -hmm. movie. She says, you notice things if you pay attention. Yeah. Very loaded. And that's true. I also, like, didn't even notice he was wearing a different tie. So I was like, damn, I need to pay better attention. (laughs) So I had to, like, rewind. (laughs) They look very similar, which he, you know, points out saying, like, oh, they look almost the same. But basically, like, Mm -hmm. his old tie is just plain brown. And this one is brown. And it has, like, not, like, dots on it, but it has, like, a design on it. Right. So I did have to rewind and look because I certainly did not notice. (laughs) Later on, when he finally heads out for the dinner reservation, he tells Mrs. Chan to call him if there are any issues with the incoming shipment. And then she notices that he changed back to his old tie. And he's like, yeah, the new one was too flashy. Best just to stick with this old one. Hmm. And it was just so clear that, like, he changed it back because he doesn't want his wife to notice. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And also, like, clearly he's never going to leave his wife. The mistress eventually will get discarded like the tie. Exactly. And then, what time is it? My favorite time of night. Noodle time, baby. Noodle time. (laughs) And we see the most dramatic noodle run known to man. I really love the musical theme that we hear repeated throughout this movie. I know that this movie actually uses a lot of similar themes and like musical motifs from Chinese opera, which I thought was super interesting. But yeah, we once again see the slow motion noodle run, but this time, oh my gosh, they both get caught in the rain. How spicy. Wow. Back at the apartment, Chow and Mrs. Chan arrive at their individual apartments and Chow mentions that he hasn't seen her husband in a while. And Mrs. Chan is like, oh, yeah, you know, he's abroad on company business. And he's like, oh, is that why I see you at the noodle stall? And she tells him she doesn't like cooking for herself. And Mrs. Chan mentions that she hasn't seen Chow's wife in a while. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, she's at home with her ill mother. And they just say goodnight and head into their apartments. She could, like, very well just mean that she doesn't really like cooking. But, I mean, my reading of the line is it probably makes her very sad to cook for one all the time. Yeah. And it's just, like, another reminder of her loneliness. Yeah, I think it's more of a feeling of loneliness. Because mm-hmm. we do see her cook later on for Chow. Exactly. So Mrs. Chen enters her apartment and Mrs. Swen tells her she's glad she's back since it was raining so hard. She was about to look for her with an umbrella. And that's when um, the Emma tells Mrs. Chan that she should have eaten with them. But she just tells them, you know, next time. Once Mrs. Chan leaves, the crew gets to gossiping about how her husband Mm -hmm. is always away. And like, why is she always so dressed up to go and get noodles? And I'm like, again... She's just a fashion girly. She's always dressed up. She's just gorgeous. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. It is what it is. Back at the apartment, Mrs. Chan walks up to her apartment door and sees Mr. Chow leaving. So he's leaving her apartment. Mm. And he's like, oh, I was just calling Mrs. Koo from, you know, your guy's phone and says that she's going to get back late. And Mrs. Chan tells him, she was at the pictures and Chow leaves. She was at, taking in a talkie. <laughs> Just taking in the talkies. 
Later on, at some point in time, we also see Mrs. Chen receive a phone call from who? Oh my God, it's from Chow. He has invited her out to dinner. So they sit down at this restaurant and Chow asks Mrs. Chan where she got the handbag that he saw her with this evening because it's so elegant and he wants to get one for his wife. And I really, again, beautiful framing of the shot, the way that we like pan back and forth between the two of them. We only ever see like their profiles in this scene um, as they're sitting across the booth from each other. But she sips some Mm -hmm. of her tea and she tells him that he's really too good to his wife. But Mr. Chow says, oh, not really. She's so fussy. But her birthday's coming up and I don't know what to get her. And he asked Mrs. Chan if maybe she can like get one of those bags for him. And she says, oh, I don't know. I don't know if your wife would necessarily want the exact same bag as me, especially since we're neighbors. And he's like, oh, I didn't think about that. Do they maybe sell them in a different color? And Mrs. Chan pauses and says, I would have to ask my husband since he bought it for me while he was abroad. They aren't for sale here in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So Chow then says, never mind. And he smokes his cigarette while she stirs her tea. Mrs. Chan then tells Chow that there's something she wanted to ask him. Where did he buy his tie? And he's, he's, you know, she wants to maybe get one for her husband. And he says, I don't know where it came from because my wife buys all my ties. But this one she got from a business trip abroad. It's not for sale here in Hong Kong. What a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Chan then says that her husband has one just like it. He says it was a gift from his boss and he wears it every day. And then Chow says that his wife has a bag just like hers. And she says, I know, I've seen it. And she asks what exactly he's implying. And we see the smoke from Chow's cigarette. As Mrs. Chan says, she thought she was the only one who knew. And as they walk home, she wonders to Chow how it began, this affair. It's such like a loaded, tension-filled scene. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yeah, and it's also like beautifully colored. Mm -hmm. There are really vivid like reds. Yeah. I'm assuming this is shot on 35 millimeter because that's like the artsy norm, I guess. But you can definitely see like the grain of the film Mm -hmm. and the way that – um. It's like almost dreamy. Yes. The way that the coloring is. And they're also um, bright greens. Like they have like a jade green lucite uh, teacups on the table. They're so beautiful. I was like, I need one of those in my cabinet right now. And I think they go back to the same restaurant later on because they're also seen eating on green lucite plates later on. Yeah. And yeah, the visual of like the cigarette smoke going in the air and just there are a lot of scenes too where we see a visual and hear the voiceover. Mm -hmm. So we don't see them actually speaking. It's just like, you know, the mood of the visual reflected onto the voice. Yeah. Um, After they leave the restaurant, they're on the sidewalk heading home and 
As they walk, Mrs. Chan tells Chow that it's late and asks if his wife will care, but he says that she's used to it. And he asks about Mr. Chan, and she's like, oh, he must be asleep by now. He asks her if they should stay out tonight, and she tells him her husband would never ask that. <gasps> Bait and slitch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then Chan asks what he would say, but she brushes him off. And Chan says that someone had to make the first move and asks who else it would be. And I think when he says, um, he says something about like it being late or like staying out late. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He asked her if they should stay out tonight. And he like kind of like goes to like moves to touch her and like kind of gra- grazes her. And then we cut to the beginning of the scene again, except. Mrs. Chan tells Chow it's late and asks if his wife will complain, but he tells her she's used to it, and he asks about her husband, and she's like, oh, he's asleep by now, and then she does the same, like, grazing with her fingertips and then walks away, and Mrs. Chan says she can't say it, and Chow says he understands. After all, it's already done, so it doesn't matter who made the first move. Mrs. Chan asks Chow if he really knows his wife and walks away. So they're reenacting the first moments of when their spouses began their affair mm-hmm. in order to, I guess, try and make sense of the situation. It's so interesting that yes. this is like the device used in the film. Mm-hmm. And we'll see often where a scene will start and it's so hard to tell if they're like having this conversation or if they're just doing another reenactment. So like the lines between these little like skits that they're doing and the reality of their relationship gets so blurred, which makes for such an interesting dynamic. And again, it's just like it was hard to tell when each of them cottoned on to their spouse having the affair. It's hard to tell like, when those lines completely blurred for them and when they started to have real feelings for each other. Like, it's very subtle in the way that it's done. And it definitely, Mm -hmm. like, keeps you on your toes because you never know if they're really talking as themselves or not. Right. And there are also a lot of scenes where they begin with seeing, like, Mr. Mr. Chow. Chow, it's Mm -hmm. interchangeable. But where we see, like, the back of his head and I'm like, is that Mr. Chan? Yeah. And then I, like... Literally, I'm taking notes in the entire scene. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Chow. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's really interesting how their relationship evolves with the aspect of impersonating each other's mm-hmm. spouses. And it's almost just to relate it to another movie that has, like, an oddly similar premise, like, mm-hmm. to all the boys I've loved before, they're fake dating they're like fake yeah fake dating but they develop real feelings and i mean i i'm not saying the movies are necessarily similar but it is that value or just like a universal theme of Mm -hmm. like where did the feelings emerge at what point in our relationship did things shift and change like seeing two people falling in love and just tracking that timeline, it, it like, I think the way he represented it was just so emotional and like 
made me feel instantly attached to their situation. Yeah, it also made me think about how, like, this is something that we talked about a lot, like, when we were in acting school, we were in college, about how, like, your brain can't tell the difference between you experiencing something and you imagining you're experiencing something. Like, your body, your body can't tell the difference. You'll have the same kind of, like, physical, emotional reaction to something, whether it's actually happening to you or you're imagining it. And, I mean, I feel like that's pretty clear what's happening in, in this dynamic between the two of them where they are like putting themselves in a romantic context with each other so it's very easy to then like project those feelings onto like what you actually have which is why it's so interesting that their relationship remains so undefined throughout the whole movie up until the very end like we never see them kiss like we never see them go as far as that but like those lines get so blurred because it's like they can't see through like the fog of this like kind of delusion that they've created. Yeah, absolutely. And also their reluctance to, I don't know if fully accept is the correct word, but they're definitely not able to detach Mm -hmm. from their spouses or confront them about what's going on. Yeah, they can't face face the reality of of what's happening mm-hmm. and so this is this is their coping mechanism is like doing mm-hmm. these little reenactments together. Exactly. So we go back to the restaurant another night. They're back in the same booth and Mrs. Chan asks Chow to order for her and he's surprised but she says, "Oh, I don't know what your wife likes to eat." And he's like, "Oh, what about your husband? What does he like to eat?" So they end up getting their meals. I think she gets steak and he gets mm-hmm. – does he also get steak? I'm not sure. I don't know if he's eating – I think he's eating white meat. Yeah, maybe it's chicken. Not sure. Unclear. But, yeah, they're cutting their respective um, meats. And then this is the part that got me. So he, like, reaches over, takes a little spoonful of spicy mustard and just, like, gently puts it on her plate and then you know she tries her steak with it and chow just looks at her and goes do you like it hot and i was like okay (sighs) i'm done for it just that made me like gasp (laughs) for some reason um that was like the hottest scene in the whole movie (laughs) it's just him like putting some mustard on her plate And Mrs. Chan asks if his wife likes hot dishes and then, like, dips the steak in the mustard again. I was like, oh, my God, this is so spicy, both literally and figuratively. Right. Another night at the restaurant, Mrs. Chan asks Chow why he called her at the office today. And he tells her he had nothing to do and wanted to hear her voice. And she tells him he has her husband down pat. He's a real sweet talker. And that was like probably one of the most confusing scenes for me where I was like, is he impersonating him at work or did he actually want to call her because he wanted to hear her voice? And she's like, wow, you you are becoming just like my husband now. He's a real sweet talker. Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit of both. I think he like he wants to call her and he's using the guise of like this little game Mm -hmm. to do so. And she wants to hear from him, but can't admit that freely because neither of them obviously like want to 
do what their spouses are doing to them, which is have an affair, even though that's kind of what they're doing. Um, so she is using the guise of the game to be like, oh, yeah, just like my husband. Like, yeah, totally. We're just playing this game. It's not real. But the lines are getting blurry. Yes, absolutely. So they're then in the back of a taxi and Mrs. Chan asks Chow why he didn't call her during work today. And he tells her he was afraid that she wouldn't like it. And she tells him not to call her again. And then he like goes to put his hand on hers and we kind of see it's not her wedding ring. I don't believe it's just like a different because it's on her right hand. It's on her middle finger. She has this Mm -hmm. one ring we see her wear through the whole movie. But we kind of see like the crossing of as he puts his hand on hers, like his wedding ring over her ring, which I thought was like a really interesting image um, before she like pushes his hand away or she pulls her hand away from his. Ugh. Things are heating up. Mm-hmm. Back at the apartment building, Mrs. Swen tells Mrs. Chan there's a letter from her husband. And she tells her it's not for her. It's for Mr. Chow next door. And she's like, oh, I, I thought it was from your husband because of the Japanese stamp. Mm. And now we're like, oh, boy. Are these bitches in Japan together? Yeah. We then cut to Mr. Chow reading the letter in his bedroom, and he crumples it up. Then later, at the office, Mrs. Chan and Chow are speaking on the phone while she's at her office, and she tells him that she knows his wife was in Japan and asks what the letter says. And Chow says it didn't say anything special, and she asks if she mentioned when she'll be back, but Chow says she didn't say And Mrs. Chan asks Chow what he thinks they're doing right now. Like, their spouses, what are they up to in Japan? Probably not just uh, playing Scrabble, if I had to guess. So we cut to this hallway where Mrs. Chan and Chow are standing by each other. And the hallway is very red, like there are red curtains. There's kind of like a red glow cast on it. And I don't know if they're embraced necessarily, but they're like standing. I think they're just standing on opposite walls by each mm-hmm. other. And then we see Mrs. Chan walk away down the hallway. So then in the taxi later on, Chow asks Mrs. Chan if she's okay. And she says she's fine and asks the driver to pull over. And Chow asks why. And she says, you know, I'll get off first. That way we don't, you know, enter the apartment together. But he offers to get out first. So car pulls over and he gets out to walk the rest of the way home. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to an alleyway where Chow is caught in the rain. So he runs to a little like awning where he can stay dry. He takes out a napkin and wipes off some of the rain. He smokes a cigarette. And we just see that like slice of life and the next thing we see it's like in the morning ping walks through the same alley it's the same frame and everything Mm -hmm. um but the alley is dry it's like the daylight and uh chow is no longer there Mm -hmm. so ping walks into the apartment building he runs into mrs chan and says hello he tells her that he came to visit chow but he's not doing so well so he's going to get him something to eat 
And she says, oh, the kanji at the place downstairs is really good. But Ping says, oh, no, he doesn't want kanji. He says he can't taste anything. He actually wants sesame syrup. Oh, my God. So troublesome, that Chow wanting his sesame (laughs) syrup while he's ill. And Mrs. Chan looks over at Chow's door and perhaps gets a little idea. Yeah, perhaps she's concerned Mm -hmm. for the sick man. Yeah. Later on, Mrs. Swen is looking for the Ama, and Mrs. Chan tells her she is hanging some clothes on the roof. And she tells Mrs. Chan that she was out all day with her mother, you know, buying fabric. She's exhausted. And Mrs. Chan is, like, going through the pots and pans. She's in the kitchen for once. And Mrs. Swen is like, oh, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I just had um, a sudden craving for sesame syrup. Hmm. And crazy. She asks if the whole pot is for her, but Mrs. Chan says she thought she'd just make like a big batch and then, you know, whoever wants some can have some. And Mrs. Swen is like, oh, you're so thoughtful. Mm -hmm. So some more time has passed. It's another night and Mrs. Chan and Chow run into each other outside of the apartment And he asks her to join him for some noodles, but she declines. And he asks if she's just off to work, but she says, no, I just saw a movie. He asks how it was, and (laughs) the notes say she tells him it was mid. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She says so, so. Yeah. Yeah. This, This is really a movie about, like, how important it is to take yourself out to the movies every once in a while for a little solo date. But this is a movie about creating uh, personal self-care habits. Mm-hmm. Noodle runs, late night movies. That's it. We should make a little like story where it's like, <laughs> have a night like in the mood for love. One, order noodles. <laughs> Two, watch a movie. Three, dissociate into a depressive state of supreme loneliness. Five, put on your little pink slippers. <laughs> Six, have an affair. (laughs) See how that goes. See how that goes. Yeah. Seven, buy an apartment in Hong Kong. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) So Chow says he used to like going to see the movies, and Mrs. Chan says, oh, it sounds like you had a lot of hobbies before. And Chow says that when you're on your own, you're free to do a lot of things, but everything changes when you get married. You have to decide everything together. And Chow admits that he often wonders what he'd be like if he hadn't gotten married and asks her if she's ever thought about that. She says that maybe she would have been happier and says that she didn't know that married life would be so complicated. When you're single, you're only responsible for yourself. But when you're married, doing well on your own isn't enough. And that was a line that I was like, holy crap. Yeah, that line is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Because it kind of solidifies the fact that you could have the best job and the best apartment and feel like, oh, my God, I look so good in the mirror. But if your spouse isn't doing well, like you're not doing well. Like it, like it has to be about the both of you. Like, yeah, you can't just have the self at the forefront. Mm -hmm. of your priorities but i guess with that being said it is also like i don't know i I just feel like american culture is so antithetical 
into a collective that mm. it is hard to process the reliancy that a spouse has on you. Yeah. I feel like that's why divorce rates in the U.S. are so high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. And, like, I think that – I mean, this is something I was actually having a conversation with Matt about this the other day, about how, like, for a lot of men especially, they don't have, like, very close – friendships like they don't have super emotionally open friendships so then for a lot of men they tend to like rely solely on their female partner for mm -hmm. like their sole emotional support and like that's that puts like too much pressure on the relationship and like for like mine and matt's dynamic specifically luckily we both have like very close emotional friendships with other people so like i don't feel the need to be like he's my best friend because he's not he's not my best friend like I have other best friends and I don't need him to be my best friend like he's my partner and like we show up for each other in other ways but and like obviously it's totally fine if people are like I want to marry my best friend that's just not something that like I really have ever thought or cared about because I'm like but I have friends and I like yeah. value those friendships so much that I don't need my romantic relationship to be the same as that mm-hmm because you get you get different emotional support from different people. Like you get different things from different people. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I think like that kind of collect that pressure that gets put on romantic relationships in Western society where there's not as much reliance on community as a whole, where it's a more individualistic culture, that really leads to the breakdown of romantic relationships and in, in marriage specifically. I was even thinking of just between two people like I feel like there's so much like you know girl boss or yeah. like YOLO you only live once where it's like I need to do this thing for me and it's hard to believe that like in a relationship like obviously you still have your things that you want to do like mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you should change your whole life but I feel like it is antithetical to that like American mm -hmm. Uh, pursuing of like passion to even just like compromise or relent a little in order to have a partnership yeah but what to like speak to what you're saying yeah that is really interesting because I I often feel that I even though I have like like you're one of my best friends obviously like I have people I can talk to it is so difficult for me to be completely honest with people mm. and to feel like I can be 100% like transparent about my relationships. Like mm -hmm. I always feel like I want to keep those things really like close to the vest, I guess. But it is also I know that I would probably feel less overwhelmed if I was more like willing to talk about things as they come up instead of being like, oh, now I feel like totally – fucked like I'm like I've like I like will block everything out and just be like oh mm. like whatever I'll deal with it like I'll cope myself and then I like look at it like months down the road and I'm like okay well I'm really unhappy and I don't know what to do right. and like feel like I've like <sighs> painted myself into a corner but yeah I mean it's it's hard it's a hard balance to strike because obviously like there are certain things that we want to keep you know between ourselves and our partners like there's some things mm -hmm. you know that are private but also like there are other things that sometimes it can be helpful to share to get other opinions on 
or even just to like have emotional support or to vent about like it's hard to necessarily yeah. strike that balance but mm-hmm. i think it is you know important to not keep things in all the time because it's not it's not good for yeah you it's not it's not good for anybody to like hold that in and kind of like carry that weight without any support so i mean you know you know i'm always here whenever you want to talk about anything Thanks, Carl. yeah thank you but yeah i think it it's just like in general there is so much that goes into a relationship mm. especially one where you're lives are interconnected like you're living with them you're married to them your uh, finances are intertwined like there are so many factors and it doesn't I don't know it's not like (laughs) something to take lightly I guess is what I'm trying to say like all of the decisions that you make in order to become closer will have the exact opposite effect of that closeness if things start to go sour you know Mm. yeah what's the quote it's like every every action has an equal opposite reaction whatever that quote is yeah yeah exactly yeah um i don't know if that's like a law of physics or something but Mm. yeah exactly and i mean when my relationship ended i was still intertwined like Mm -hmm. financially with like I had to move like I couldn't afford my apartment anymore. There were like rent deposit checks that needed to be refunded and just like a myriad things where like my, you know, gas or my my electricity was under my partner's name and you can't transfer the name like so I, when i moved i had to just like cancel services and re mm-hmm. sign up for the whole thing like there were so many components that involved themselves like and so i can't even imagine the gravitas of being with someone for however long being married to someone for years mm-hmm. and then being like oh and now i have to like leave them because they're having an affair yeah and like separating is going to be so heavy. Yeah, because on top of all of the emotional weight of it, there are all those, like, practical things that nobody ever thinks about until, like, it's actually happening. And then you're like, oh, fuck, I have to deal with this and this and this. Like, you don't realize just how enmeshed your lives have become beyond the emotional component of your relationship. And this is why, I, like, had a nervous breakdown at 2 a.m. watching <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> um, to quote a lovely review of this movie that i saw on letterboxd i'm in the mood for death is really more mm-hmm. apt <laughs> so <laughs> um where are we oh yeah so she said this devastating line and right. chow tells her not to brood on it too much her husband will be back soon and she asks about his wife but chow tells her that they're in the same boat but he just doesn't he just doesn't think about it he doesn't want to brood on it He says that he thinks about mistakes he's made or if he's responsible sometimes for what happened, but life is too short to think about that. You know, something just has to change. And then he tells her that he's actually decided he's going to write a martial arts serial like he's always wanted to. And he says he'd like to show it to her and ask if she'd help 
since she likes those serials, but Mrs. Chan says she wouldn't know how, she only reads them, but he suggests that maybe they could discuss it together sometime, and also thanks her for the sesame syrup that she made him. Aww. And she says, oh, yeah, no worries. I just happened to be making it that day. And I'm like, we've all been there, girlfriend. Finale, yes. <laughs> oh, me? Oh, I just happened to be passing by the yeah. bookstore. And I saw the book in the window that you said you wanted. And I just had to get it for you. I just, like, happened to see you posted about being at this particular place at this particular time. And I just happened to be there. That's so crazy. Exa- it's so weird yeah. how it works like that. Ain't life grand. So <laughs> <laughs> Chow then leaves to go get his noodles and uh, Mrs. Chan leaves the alley heading back to the apartment. Yes. In his office in the next scene, Chow sits down at his desk and stares out. He smokes a cigarette Meanwhile, we cut to Mrs. Chan sitting at her desk, which is also just like the tiniest little desk you've ever seen yeah. with only room for a typewriter and like a gigantic folder. Mm-hmm. And then we go to back to the apartment. Mrs. Chan sits reading the paper in Chow's apartment and shows him something. I'm assuming she's reading like a serial yeah. and shows him. Mm-hmm. So she is in his room and... Yes. Meanwhile, the Koos and the Swens have just, you know, had dinner. And at dinner, Mr. Koo has gotten so drunk that he literally needs to be carried by three people um, back to his apartment. <laughs> so Chan goes the back. Man is unwell. Yeah, he is toasted. So <laughs> Chow goes back into his room where, you know, Mrs. Chan is just like hanging out. And he's like, oh, Looks like you're going to be trapped here for a while. You might as well finish the noodles. So he like puts some wontons and noodles from her flask into a bowl. Also love her little noodle flask. It is the cutest thing in the world. That little like Mm -hmm. canteen. It's gorgeous. It's chill. It's chic. Very chic. So Chow goes back to the main room and asks if they're going to play here tonight. And Mrs. Swen is like, yeah, Mrs. Koo is dealing with her husband. Like... We're just going to stay put and play Mahjong. And he offers to help with Mr. Koo, but they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, and he's like, oh, okay. Like, are you going to play all night? <laughs> and Mrs. Swen's like, oh, only eight rounds. And later on, Mrs. Chan tells Chow, like, yeah, they're going to be playing until morning. And he's like, all right, just, you know, get some rest. I'll wake you when they finish. And she asks about him, and he's like, oh, I have another chapter to write. And Mrs. Chan asks where he's gotten to, and Chow tells her the drunk master just came in. But she doesn't know when he he was, like, written into the story. And Chow says, just now. (laughs) So naturally, the very chill eight rounds of Mahjong has continued well into the morning. Yeah, they've stayed up the entire night playing Mahjong fucking insane and chow you know walks into the living room in the morning and mr ku is like oh you're home early and he says oh no i went to buy some food i'm not going to work today because i'm not feeling well and mr ku says that a sick man shouldn't eat all that sticky rice you know don't stuff yourself and he's like oh haha like some of it's for later don't worry about it 
He then says good morning to Mrs. Swen, who is still there, and asks if they finished their game. And she says, oh, not yet. You know, Mr. Yang has to go to work. So Mr. Sai is coming to replace him. So, like, what the hell? <laughs> they literally have alternates coming in to take over. <laughs> Back in Chow's bedroom, Mrs. Chan asked Chow if he called out of work for her. And he did. And she asks, like, what he said and if they asked who he was but they didn't ask they probably mistook him for her husband and mrs chan tells him her boss knows that her husband is away and chow's like just pretend that he's back then mrs chan wonders if they were too cautious you know she's always around anyway and i think she's just having like serious regret about staying in this room for hours on end as would i because at this point, it looks so much worse than if she had just, like, walked out when they first got there. Right. Yeah. And Chow tells her they did show up unexpectedly and asks what they would assume. And Mrs. Chan is just like, one can't put a wrong foot. Like, she feels just so watched. Um, like, she can't do a single thing without getting judged or, or gossiped about. Yeah, which is true. These women do love to gossip. Absolutely. So hours pass. Mrs. Chan and Chow lie in wait until eventually at night, when everyone has cleared out, she is able to make her escape back to her apartment. Mm -hmm. She gets back and Ama says, oh, you're back very late, Mrs. Chan. And she says, yeah, I just had a lot of you know work today. And Amma mentions that she didn't even see her leave this morning. And Mrs. Chan says that she had breakfast with her mother. So she didn't see her leave this morning because she was out at the time. She then asks where Mrs. Swen is. And Amma says that she's asleep. You know, she was playing Mahjong all night and all day. I bet. Amma then asks Mrs. Chan if her leg is okay. Because she's kind of like limping a little bit. And she says, oh, it's just these new shoes. And then Mrs. Chan quickly lets herself into her room and, like, throws off her heels and rubs her feet, which I didn't understand, like, why her legs were in pain. I didn't know if it was because she had stayed in her heels or yeah. she was wearing the slippers. Yeah. I have no idea, honestly. Is it just because she, like, didn't lay down to sleep the whole night? Like, she was just sitting on his bed, I guess? Maybe. But, Yeah. If anyone has any insight, I just didn't understand what that was about. Yeah, maybe she just feels exhausted. Yeah. Generally, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But we cut back to Chow. Chow is smoking a cigarette, and we see the slippers that Mrs. Chan was wearing in Chow's room. Presumably his wife's. Yeah. Just tucked under the bed. That evening, Chow takes Mrs. Chan out to dinner because she refuses to take payment for helping him write his story. And Mrs. Chan is like, oh, you know, I just gave you some thoughts. But he tells her that more people are asking for cereals. He has two more to write. And Mrs. Chan is concerned about the workload, but he tells her that's why he's looking for a new place. There's nothing going on between them, but he doesn't want gossip. Mm. And Mrs. Chan tells him not to waste his money. He doesn't need her. He can write them on his own. Well, well, well. We then see... Chow walking down this like red hallway with these billowy red curtains. I mean, we talked about this already, but like red is a very, very present color in yeah. the movie. And 
like in Chinese culture specifically, red is a very lucky color. Like it symbolizes prosperity, luck, all of that. So during like Chinese New Year, you'll see everything is red. So he walks down this hallway and opens a door. Later on, back at Mrs. Chan's office, she calls Chow at work, but his boss tells her that he hasn't been in for a few days and they actually don't know where he is. And she sits down at her desk, confused. Hmm. At work, Mrs. Chan is dismissed by her boss, but before she leaves, the phone rings. It's Mr. Chan, and she asks him where he is. And the next thing we see is Mrs. Chan taking a cab. Hmm. So we see her very frantically running up the stairs in this hotel and like down the hallway and then back down the stairs while Chow looks out the hotel room window when he hears a knock at the door. Later on, Mrs. Chan leaves the hotel room and says she'll be back tomorrow. Chow tells her he's okay and she says it's no trouble. She'll come by. She'll bring food. So... What's happening with Chow right now? Like, he's not coming to work. He has a hotel room. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And Chow tells her, like, just to bring whatever. And he asks her to call him when she gets home. Let it ring three times, then hang up. And then he says he didn't think she'd come. And she says they won't be like them. Wow. Then Mrs. Chan walks down the red hallway. And we see her just kind of freeze. After taking some steps, she just like pauses mm. in the hallway. We see this montage of Mrs. Chen writing in the hotel room while Chow eats noodles. She shows him her work and he reads it. And the way that this whole scene is shot is really, really cool because we kind of like pan back and forth from seeing like Chow and then we pan over like the back of mrs chan we just see like her silhouette and then we see her face in the mirror and it kind of like goes back and forth between the shoot it's really beautiful Mm -hmm. and um mrs chan smiles at chow in the mirror as he's reading he looks at her we see them eating together and laughing he also plays a record and she sings along it's it's a really gorgeous sequence yeah to see her sing was pretty spectacular just because it feels like singing is such um an open like ritual like like you don't really sing unless you're comfortable in front of the audience yeah it's a very personal thing yeah yeah in the next scene we see mrs chan and we see a gentleman from behind and the two of them are eating and she asks him if he has a mistress the guy is incredulous and asks who told her that and Mrs. Chan tells him, never mind that, do you? And he says no. And she tells him not to lie and asks him to look at her. And she asks him once again, like, are you having an affair? And he says yes. And she gives him this, like, what looks like a very little, like, almost playful slap. But it's actually Chow pretending to be Mr. Chan. And she's practicing what she would say if he admitted to the affair. Oh my gosh. And Chow is like, that is a bad reaction. You have to give it to him. Like, really let him have it. And Mrs. Chan says she wasn't expecting him to admit it so easily. And she, like, caught up, got caught up and um, didn't know how to react. Mm-hmm. And Chow is like, okay, let's try it one more time. 
And Mrs. Chan asks him to tell her frankly, does he have a mistress? And Chow says, no way. Who told you that? And she asks him again. He denies it again. And she asks him a third time. And he finally admits it. Mrs. Chan just stares off and then resumes eating her bowl of food. And Chow looks at her and asks if she's all right. And she tells him she didn't expect it to hurt so much. And just leans over and begins crying on Chow. And he reminds her it's just a rehearsal. He won't admit it this easily. Like, it'll be okay. This scene was, like, really devastating. Especially because, like, up until this point, neither of them have really had an outward emotional reaction to what's been going on. But, like, you can really see her actually processing like the betrayal and what's happened Mm -hmm. which she's clearly like not allowed herself to feel and they've been you know letting themselves get caught up in this make-believe little like we're just doing these scenarios but when she actually has to think about confronting him and how much it's going to hurt to hear those words right she like completely breaks down it's it's so sad yeah and i think he's so taken aback too because he's like he's not really accepted his situation either or he's like detached himself from it yeah he seems i mean i guess it is like that quote from wong like that we mentioned at the beginning Mm -hmm. where he talks about how no one thinks chow is um, mentally unstable or sick because a little off yeah yeah because he has like a really kind demeanor a kind face but like he is incredibly detached yeah it does make me think reflecting upon the movie now like did he care for his wife? Like, did he yeah. see her when she was around before this affair started? Um, like, what was their relationship like prior? Because it's never shown that he's like, I want her back or I need her, like, reminiscent of the good memories. Like, it is very detached and cold. So. Yeah, and I do, I do think it's, like, purposeful that he is referred to by name whereas mrs chan is referred to by her husband's name oh, yeah. throughout the whole movie like For sure. she is her identity is very much tied up with like being this man's wife mm-hmm. whereas like chow has more freedom to like be his own man because if you know just society <laughs> but mm-hmm. um yeah he he doesn't really define himself by his relationship with his wife at all right he has a lot of other things that he's doing too Mm-hmm. it's a lot easier for him to like detach from that relationship right and i mean we he does talk about like having brief moments of reflection of like oh maybe did i make mistakes or maybe was i responsible yeah but he doesn't allow himself to think about that he's like i don't want to brood i let it go i just don't even focus on it so yeah he's clearly like extremely just like checked out at this point yeah fully So we then go back to the apartment where Mrs. Swen actually confronts Mrs. Chan and mentions that she's been out late a lot. And she says, you know, it's okay to have fun when you're young, but don't overdo it. She then asks about Mr. Chan and Mrs. Chan says that her husband will be back soon. And Mrs. Swen advises her not to let her husband travel so much in the future. You know, a couple should spend time together. She asks if she agrees, and Mrs. Chan nods before telling her goodnight. She then walks away and cries. We see this, like, really beautiful shot of her, like, sitting and just, like, the tears streaming down her face. 
Yeah, that conversation was really devastating to hear because yeah, with everything that's going on, she's just the one who's being gossiped about and reprimanded. And she also like is now isolated once again because Chow is her only person and only kind of emotional support and now she's like probably shouldn't even see him anymore. Yeah. And on top of that, now she's responsible for her husband, like, oh, don't let him travel, mm-hmm. you know, and there's nothing, she doesn't really have control over that, so. Yeah. Back at work, Chow calls Mrs. Chan and asks her to come over tonight to help him write. He's being hounded by his editors, but she tells him she can't come anytime soon because Mrs. Suen lectured her last night. And they need to stop seeing so much of each other. So then back at the apartment, Mrs. Swen asks Mrs. Chan if she's going out for noodles tonight. And she says, oh, no, I was just going to stay in and make myself something for dinner. But Mrs. Swen invites her to join them for vegetable wontons for dinner. And Mrs. Chan actually does agree. And wow. later on, she she watches them play Mahjong, but she just stands in the corner she still doesn't join in and we see her just looking out the window pensive once again Mm -hmm. in his office Chow is smoking a cigarette and he's like talking with some of his colleagues and then he also walks to the corner of the room and he kind of goes stone-faced so yeah I I really liked the mimicry of Mm -hmm. the action in the scene Back at work, Mrs. Chan arrives after her lunch hour, and her boss gives her a message from Chow asking her to call him. But instead of going over to the phone and giving him a call, Mrs. Chan just sits down at her desk and begins typing. And her boss notices this. Yeah. So. We then see a brief scene of Chow once again at work, just smoking a cigarette before... Later that night, when he gets caught in the rain again, and who does he see but Mrs. Chan? He tells her that they're having some strange weather and asks if she's been here long. She's hiding under, like, the awning Mm -hmm. to keep from getting wet. And he says he doesn't think it'll stop soon and asks her to wait here for him. So he, like, quickly runs into the building and runs back out with an umbrella, offering to walk her home. But she says it's best that they're not seen together because obviously, like, if people see them coming in together, they'll assume something. If they see her just walking in with, like, the umbrella that they just saw him run to get, mm-hmm. they're going to assume something. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I wasn't thinking. And Ugh. Mrs. Chan tells Chow to go first. She'll just wait down here a while. And he says, well, while you wait, I'll keep you company. So... She then asks if he tried to call her at work, and he said that he didn't think she was getting his messages, but he actually wants her help getting a ticket to Singapore. Apparently, Ping wrote him and said that they're short-staffed over there and wants him to come help. So she asks how long he would stay in Singapore, and he tells her that he's just going to play it by ear. Mrs. Chan asks why he's, like, rushing to leave, and he says that he needs a change of scenery and to escape the gossip. And Mrs. Chan says, well, it isn't true, so why worry? 
But he tells her he used to think that too. He thought that they wouldn't be like them. But he was wrong. And she won't leave her husband, so he'd rather go away. Mrs. Chan then says she didn't think that he'd fall in love with her. And he says he didn't either. He was only curious how it started. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, again, even just the way that it it comes to fruition, like, Mm -hmm. so quietly. Yeah. He says that now he knows feelings can creep up just like that, and he wishes that her husband would stay away. He then asks for one favor. He wants to be prepared. Yes. So we see this um, framing of Mrs. Chan and Chow in the alley, and Mrs. Chan is pacing around a bit, and she tells Chow he better not see her again. And Chow asks if her husband is back, and she says yes. She's hopeless. Chow agrees not to see her again and tells her to keep a closer eye on her husband. He grabs her hand and then lets go. And Mrs. Chan turns away. I love that we see after he's held her hand, her, like, take that hand and immediately, like, press it to her arms, almost Mm -hmm. like she's trying to, like, transfer his touch to her yeah it was it really reminded me of like pride and prejudice when mr darcy and Mm -hmm. um whatever her the fuck her name is kira knightley's character touch hands elizabeth (laughs) touch hands and he's like it's like Mm -hmm. hand is cramping up yes exactly yeah but the next scene like like immediate cut to the next scene mrs chan is crying in chow's arms and he tells her it's not real it's only a rehearsal and he tries to comfort her and she is just sobbing into his arms yeah like the fact that they they can't even face the reality of having to say goodbye to each other yeah that they're doing it under the guise of like oh it's just a rehearsal that we're saying goodbye i was like fucking kill me Oh my gosh. In the mood for death. <sighs> so rough. So later on, we're in a in a cab once again, and Mrs. Chan tells Chow that she doesn't want to go home tonight. And they do hold hands mm-hmm. in this taxi. Then on the radio we hear several like song dedications. Uh, including one from Mr. Chan in Japan wishing his wife a happy birthday. And we see Mrs. Chan listening to the radio while Chow sits alone. Like we kind of pan as she's like leaning against the wall in her apartment across to like the opposite wall in his apartment where he's leaning against that wall and just like looking at the rice cooker that she got for him. Yeah. Back at the office, um, the phone rings, and Mrs. Chan doesn't answer. And I believe it rings three times, and then it hangs yeah. up. So it's Chow. Mm-hmm. And we just hear Chow ask Mrs. Chan if he has an extra ticket for Singapore, if she'd come with him. <gasps> and then we see the hotel room that Chow has been staying at. He stares out the window and smiles, and then he turns off the lights and leaves. We then see him standing still in the hallway of the hotel, the billowy red curtains blowing. And then we see Mrs. Chan walk down the stairs to the hotel 
where she sits in the room alone. We see the wind blowing the curtains in the hallway. And in the room, Mrs. Chan starts to cry because she's too late. Mm. He's gone. And we hear a voiceover of Mrs. Chan asking, you know, repeating his question, if there was an extra ticket, would she go with him? It's so sad. Yeah. We go to Singapore, 1963, and we see a receptionist answer the phone and tell the caller that Chow is at work. And Chow, in the next scene, is like searching his apartment or his hotel room. I'm not really sure which it is. And he asks the reception if anyone's been in his room because something is missing. And then back in his room, he spots a cigarette. And the cigarette has red lipstick. It was left in the ashtray. So Chow then goes to eat dinner with Ping and tells him that in the old days when somebody wanted to keep a secret, they went up to a mountain and found a tree, carved a hole in it, and then whispered the secret into the hole before covering it up with mud. Wow. And Ping says, ah, you know what, my brother? You just got to go get laid. (laughs) That's my advice. Chow tells him that not everybody is like him, but Ping says he's not bottled up like him. He doesn't have secrets and asks Chow what exactly it is he's hiding. We then kind of like go back in time a little bit and we see Mrs. Chan's hand on the banister at Chow's hotel or apartment, wherever it is he's staying in Singapore. And she goes into his room. So she's the one who broke in. Mm -hmm. She's looking at all of his belongings. She smells his cigarette holder and takes one out to smoke. She sits down, relaxes in a chair. I think she also sees like the little red slippers as Mm -hmm. well on the ground. Then does that mean that his wife is there or did he bring them for her? I couldn't tell. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous. Mm -hmm. But I think that him and his wife are no longer together and he like kept the slippers because like she wore them once. And that's my assumption, especially because like later on he goes back to Hong Kong like by himself. And yeah, so I don't think that he's still with his wife. But what do you think was missing from his room? I don't know. Do you think it was the slippers? Probably was the slippers. Yeah. Because that would have been really the only thing that she touched besides like, you know, his bed. Mm-hmm. We then go to the Singapore Daily, which is where Chow is working, and he answers the phone. He gets a call. He says hello, but he doesn't hear a response. We then cut over to his apartment to see that it's Mrs. Chan who has called, but she doesn't say anything. She puts the phone back on the hook, and oh yes, it is, it is the slippers, because she then walks up to the little slippers and picks them up. Mm-hmm. So... Then we see a title card, Hong Kong, 1966. And Mrs. Chan is back at Mrs. Swen's apartment. It's been a really long time. And she's like, what are you doing here? And Mrs. Chan tells her she was in town. So she wanted to drop off her boat ticket and a small gift. Mrs. Swen is like, oh, my place is a mess. Everything is packed up. There are like boxes. There's nothing on the walls anymore. And she tells Mrs. Chan she just can't bear to throw things away. 
then the Amal comes over and offers tea and gives Mrs. Chan and Mrs. Swen some tea and also invites Mrs. Chan to eat with them. But she tells them she can't because she has work waiting. But the Amal tells her not to rush off. And Mrs. Swen asks about Mrs. Chan's husband. And she says, oh, he's well. She asks how long she'll be away. And Mrs. Swen tells her she doesn't know. If she feels like it, she may stay. Her daughter is worried about the situation in Hong Kong, but she doesn't want to leave. And I looked this up. In 1966, there were riots about, like, the prices of ferries increasing. Hmm. But it was also the underlying issue was, like, corrupt government in Hong right. Kong. And it yeah. was, like, being ruled by the British at the time. Um, so there was, like, a lot of dissatisfaction. Yeah. I assume that there were, um, like, 1966 was the beginning of riots, but I'm assuming that there were, like, a lot more. Yeah. So she tells Mrs. Chan about the situation in Hong Kong, and but she says ultimately, like, she doesn't want to leave, but since the coups left, she doesn't have Mahjong partners anymore, and her daughter needs help with her kids in the United States. So... It kind of lines up well for her to leave. Yeah. And Mrs. Chan asks about the apartment and who they're renting to. But Mrs. Swen says she doesn't want to sell it. Maybe she'll rent it out. And she ends up asking her how much. Mm. And she says, oh, for you, like, you can have it at a discount. And Mrs. Chan tells her she'll think about it. And she asks who lives next door now. And Mrs. Swen tells her she doesn't know. The coups were like family. Things were so much better back then. And as Mrs. Chan looks out the window, she begins to cry. It's so devastating. And, like, also the way that, like, Maggie Chung just kind of, like, has to quickly compose herself, put that, like, stuff it all back inside Mm -hmm. to turn around to, like, sit down with Mrs. Swen again. Uh. It's, It's a really beautiful moment, but it's absolutely heartbreaking. So some time has passed and we see Chow carrying a book and walking up a flight of stairs and he arrives at Mr. Ku's old apartment, but the tenant tells Chow that Mr. Ku moved a while ago and he asks if he knows where he is and Chow ends up coming inside and telling the tenant that he used to live here. He asks if Mrs. Swen is still next door But he says, oh, no, she's gone. Everybody is running away now. It's like a completely different building. And he asks who lives there now. And the tenant says it's a woman and her son. He then finds Mr. Ku's info, but there's no address in the Philippines, just, you know, his son's phone number. So Mm -hmm. Chow ends up giving the new tenant the gift he was going to give Mr. Ku. And he, like, walks past like he walks up to the the door next door and like looks at it briefly before walking away and we see a title card that reads that era has passed nothing that belonged to it exists anymore <sighs> oh my god what a gut punch i know and then the next scene is the apartment next door mrs swen's old apartment And we see Mrs. Chan ask her son if he's ready to leave the apartment. And they head out together. Like, just, just missed each other. I know. I know. I I really wanted that closure. And uh, 
I was just simply not going to get it. No. <laughs> In the mood for death. That's what we're watching. So the next scene we see is actually a real clip of Cambodia in 1966. It is Prince Narodom Sihanouk and Queen Sisawath Kasamak greeting General de Gaulle of France. And there are like 200,000 people um, on either side of this procession just excited about the visit of the president of France. Um, and this was during World War II. So like 1966 would have been way, way later than World War II. That's so true. Hold on. Let me see what this was about. Yeah, I meant to look it up and then I completely forgot because I don't really know what the significance of this is. I think it was in regards to the Vietnam War. Yeah. I don't know why I said World War II. <laughs> but yeah, we see this clip and I think it was because in the next scene, Chow visits Cambodia. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe it's just in regards to times changing and the passage of time. And the emphasis in the clip is that, like, this visit from the president of France is unprecedented. And everyone is, like, shocked that he would come to Cambodia. Um, And it's, like, a big fanfare. Yeah. So if anyone is more of a history buff and might know more about what that means, please let us know. Yeah. So we then go to Angkor Wat, which is actually in Siem Reap in Cambodia, one of like the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. If you ever have the opportunity to go, I highly recommend. Um, but Angkor Wat is just like this huge, gigantic temple, and we see a young monk sitting in the doorway on this temple, and Chow looks at a cobweb on the ruins of this like stone pillar structure and sees that there's a small hole in it. So he leans in close, and we see him whispering into the hole while the young monk watches him. And we see different scenes of this temple. We, like, kind of zoom in on just, like, different details. And then we finally pan over to see that the hole has now been stuffed with mud and grass. And the final thing we see at the end of the movie, is another title. It says in the subtitles, he remembers those vanished years as though looking through a dusty window pane. The past is something he could see but not touch. It is so emotional. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and everything he sees is blurred and indistinct. But I also found a more literal translation, which is... Mm in my opinion, just, like, so much more pained and sad. Yeah. Um, Those vanished years, as if separated by a piece of dust-laden glass, can only be seen and not grasped. He keeps yearning for everything in the past. Had he shattered through that dust-laden glass, he would have walked back into those long-vanished years. Well, there goes the rest of my day. Um, (sighs) Jesus Christ. I think one of the biggest themes in this movie is action versus inaction. Mm -hmm. And that really, like, the last title card kind of just solidified that. Yeah. Because even though we see all of these 
interactions between Mrs. Chan and Chow, it's so like passively. It feels like they're really passive participants in their lives. It's very restrained. Like they don't, they don't like really make any moves towards like acting on their feelings, which is why I was honestly like so surprised when they did admit them. Yeah. Towards the end. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> What do you guys want us to say in this conclusion? I'm having a crisis. Yeah. Uh, It was a really, really beautiful movie. I'm so glad that I finally watched it. Mm -hmm. And like it has so many themes that I I personally feel very drawn to. It's a lot of themes that I actually like to touch on in my in my own writing. The kind of idea of like when something ends, like where does that stuff go? Like the quote about like that era is over and like let me let me find it verbatim yeah that era has passed nothing that belonged to it exists anymore like the idea that 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 moment is gone forever but like those feelings still exist around it even though like you can't touch them you can't see them anymore like it's mm-hmm. it's really devastating and this movie is so subtle and so like simple in so many ways like the dialogue is very simple because a lot of it was improvised but yeah the way that he's able to like touch on all of these really devastating things is is really incredible yeah and i think like in regards to that like the past being gone mm-hmm like that title card is very much like, yes, the past, like you can't relive the past, you know, you relive it in your memories, but it is never a replacement for the actual moment that you experienced initially. Mm -hmm. And then in this ending title card, the idea of looking through a dusty window pane is very like Plato's cave Mm. of like seeing the shadows and the the blurred lines and the figures, but not being able to actually capture the essence, which is like a whole other mm. like philosophy thing of us only interpreting objects and our experiences from our perspective. But like, what is the essence of like a flower or a mm-hmm. house or like whatever the case is? And it kind of makes you question like, <laughs> even in the moment, was I experiencing it? Or was mm-hmm. I, like, behind that dust-laden glass? Yeah. <laughs> oh I'm so unwell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just makes me think about, like, you know, when, when a relationship ends, whether it be, you know, something more clearly defined, like a marriage or something, or a relationship like what Chan and – or what Mrs. Chan and Chow had, mm-hmm. where, like, it is this ill-defined, like – a lot of things left unsaid. Yeah. Once it's over, the only way that it exists is in their own memories. And like, in order to, to prove that it existed, like it's, it's like their responsibility to carry those memories for other, uh, forever. Otherwise it's like, it was never there, you know? Um, just like the ephemeral nature of life, man. It's yeah. God. Yeah. I'm going to be thinking about this movie for a long time. I think. It's gonna be it's gonna be ruminating up in the old noggin for a bit. Yeah. I will say it is available on a well-known streaming platform. 
Mm-hmm. If you want to watch it, it's yeah, it's formerly known as HBO Max. HBO Schmack somewhere. <laughs> um, if you're in Canada, it is on an, an another um, streaming service that also houses HBO Schmack sh- shows. Um, maybe it rhymes with cave. Maybe it's almost cave, but it has an extra letter somewhere in there. Um, so if you're in Canada, you can figure that out for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in Canada, you can solve that riddle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it definitely deserves to be seen and not just heard mm-hmm. because of all of the amazing detail put into each shot and the physicality of the actors. With the lack of verbiage, it is made up for um, such a rich aesthetic and visual like interpretation. Um yeah. The visuals and like the set dressing and the the color palette specifically are really stunning. And I don't think that we mentioned this in the beginning. Like we talked briefly about like the different cheap house that she wears throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. But um the art director and also editor talked about how like the colors that he used, he wanted to use like really vivid colors to contrast the characters' restrained emotions. And, like, these contradictions are also in the lines that they speak. Like, everything that they say to each other means the opposite. So it's like, are they rehearsing the love? Is it real? Mm -hmm. So, like, we see these very, very rich visuals with these super, super restrained people in front of them, which I thought was just, like, really compelling storytelling-wise. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to see more of his films now after watching Mm -hmm. this. um, Yeah. Because – where I watched it um, <laughs> has actually more of his films. So definitely interested. And I feel like this was a very um, like different foray for us where we yeah. don't usually talk as much about like aesthetic or technical aspects of filmmaking. But mm-hmm. guys, we aren't dumb. I feel like some people think we're dumb. Like, not people who enjoy the podcast, yeah. but right, people right. think we're Just not, like, serious general. about <laughs> yeah. film because we want to watch fun movies. But, yeah, um, yeah no, it was just really refreshing to watch mm-hmm. something that I guess I hadn't seen in a while because I haven't been interested in seeing as serious films. Mm-hmm. But it... And I guess it's also similar to Amelie, just in the sense of like a very strong style. Something more and stylized, yeah. yeah, definitely. And it also made me think about um, because obviously this movie is one of the big themes is is almost like a like a right person wrong time, like a ships passing in the night, mischances yeah. kind of thing. And there's another movie that came out recently. Um, which actually, no, I can mention it because it's A24 and they are complying with all of the strike rules. So it's an A24 movie, Past Lives, which recently came out, which I've been dying to see. And I have a feeling I'm going to have a similar existential crisis with that one as I did mm. with this one. So I'll have to see it. Yeah. With that being said, shall we give In the Mood for Love a rating? Oh, I'm going to give it a nine. Me too. I was nice. also going to give it a nine. Nice. Yeah. Can't deny the talent in this film. Really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Devastating, but very beautiful. Wow. That's heavy. I well, need to like go have a drink <laughs> yeah. or like take a bath or something. Oh yeah. No, I'm I'm literally going to go have a bubble bath. Oh my god. Uh, I'm actually gonna have a bubble me. bath too. Wow. 
Beautiful. Gotta shave my legs. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Gotta shave your legs for the Jonas Brothers concert. (laughs) Which I'll be so thrilled to attend. I'm in such a good mood now. (laughs) Yeah. But with that being said. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Yes. We'll come back next week with another international superstar film. Mm -hmm. If you want more content before then, you can follow us on TikTok at Movies That Raised Us Pod. You can also send us a good old-fashioned email at Movies That Raised Us at gmail.com. Yes, you can follow us on Instagram at Movies That Raised Us, and you can also follow us on Twitter at MTRU underscore pod. I'm Mo. And I'm Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye! Bye.